Amen. Praise Jesus. Um, I was just thinking while I was we were worshiping, I thought that uh, the, the worship you usually think prepares the preacher, but for me it humbles me because I feel like the Lord has done such a tremendous job. He's done such a tremendous thing through the ones who are leading in worship. And so I'm just touched considerably by what the what we're hearing in this place. You know, a lot of you don't realize um, what goes into it, but to me it's like a, <clears throat> it's like a, a, an Old Testament battle where you've got Gideon's 300 men against so many and watching the Lord do his work in it. And there isn't anything about this that we're trying to raise up to be professional. We're not trying to focus it in a professional sense. We're just trying to give God his, our best. What's amazing is, is that when we give him our best, he does something above and beyond that. So how many of you felt the Lord's presence this morning? And um, the Lord's presence touches us, and we wouldn't be able to move without his presence. And remember, uh, Moses had said the one thing that he had made as a qualifier, whether he was going to go forward or not, is he said, unless your presence go with me, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do it unless you go before me. And that heart should be in us too. Lord, I want to go forward, but I want to have your presence moving in the direction that you want me to go. And so that's all an individual thing, but it becomes a corporate thing. So the idea is is that as we surrender to what God is doing in our individual lives, it only makes what God is doing in a corporate sense even greater for us. So if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to... um, Uh, Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. I actually didn't have any hid, uh, line scriptures here because there's uh, quite a few that I want to go through. Um, but I want to highlight a couple stories this morning. I want to create a contrast, as it were, for you guys in, uh, in scripture. And I'm sure that probably many of us know these stories, but I want you to look at the contrast here. Um, we're going to contrast a story... Uh, of a man by the name Achan with, uh, with Joseph. And I want you to think about the differences between these two men. And I feel like sometimes a comparison really puts things in highlight and gives us an understanding that we need uh, to know the direction that God has for us. And sometimes we miss God's direction because we're not paying attention to what it is that's the opposites. And you see a polar opposite between these two individuals. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you that your word is powerful and your word is sharp. As a matter of fact, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I want to thank you, Lord, that your word actually does cut into our hearts. It, it heals our hearts. If we can hear from you, Lord, and this morning I just want to pray that you'll give us your words so that we can listen to what you're saying. And, and I want to thank you that there's more than, more than what I'm able to convey, but I believe that there's a message here for every person. And I just want to pray that you'll open up every one of our hearts, as you already have, as we've worshipped you and given you our best, our highest praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want to thank you, Jesus. This morning, that you're the only true God. You're the only true God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Joshua 6, verse 27. That's actually not where I wanted to go. Oh, that is where I want to go, I think. Oh, let me see. No. Give me a minute. Okay, Okay. sorry, uh, 7 verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And Joshua sent men to Jericho, uh, from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven, to the east side of Bethel, and spoken to them, saying, Go up and view the country. Still isn't where I want to be. What did I do here? Okay. Okay. I'll go ahead and go on verse 3. And they returned to Joshua uh, and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and, and uh, smite Ai, and make not all the people labor, for they are but few. So they looked at Ai and said, There are a few people. Let's just take a few of us. We can go take this quickly and easily. So they went up of the people, about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six, uh, thirty-six men, and they chased them from before the gate even to Sherebim, and smote them in the going down thereof. And the hearts of the people melted because of, uh, and became as water. 
And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. And he and the elders of Israel and, and put dust upon his head, their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore have all you brought all this people over to Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt in the other side of Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns, turns their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us and round about and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do? Uh, and what will this do unto your great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get up, wherefore do you lie upon your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken the accursed thing, and have also stolen and disassembled. Also, they have put it in among their own stuff. Wherefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither, were, neither will I be with them any more, except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, of is God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of you, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come by man by man. And it shall be he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has wrought folly in Israel. So Joshua goes through the, the course of um, doing exactly what God told him to do. And then he found out that it was Achan, and, and he says in verse 19, And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray you, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what you have done, and hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. And when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a weight of gold, fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they were hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hid in the tent and the silver under it. So here you have the story of Achan, and he's, uh, he's, just, he's had this, this temptation to take a Babylonian garment and some silver and gold. And really, what is that? in the grand scope of things, but that's what he did. And it was interesting because when you first start reading the story, if you've never read that, I wonder if might be thinking, I wonder what the accursed thing is. And we probably would have signed it off to some idol instead of just something that was worldly and things that were actually used in, uh, you would use gold and silver in the day. And so what makes this so evil? What makes it so wrong? And I think a lot of us have a hard time judging in the world we're living in if something's right or wrong because we're looking at the thing itself. So when it comes to movies and we're, we're deciding on movies, are they Christian? 
Are they G-rated movies? Are they R-rated movies? What kind of movies are they? And we base it, the whole decision on the rating of what we're listening to. Um, does it have foul language? Is it violent? What is it? And we begin to look at it from the moral side of things in that sense. But really, when you look at this scripture, the whole sin in this was that he coveted it. And, and honestly, I wonder if in our culture today that we really get a grasp of the evils of, of covetousness. It's actually mentioned among one of the Ten Commandments. And yet I wonder that we even take time to think about what is covetousness? What does it mean to covet? And yet it tells us in the Ten Commandments not to covet. But yet we do probably way more than we realize. And yet in this scenario, this was extremely evil and wrong for him to do. And what I wanted to pick out in this, and I felt like the reason why this was such a tremendous story for this morning, was because this was one man that affected a large number of people. And it's really not his sin. It's really not the judgment that came upon him that's the focus of the moment. And, but it's the fact that this one man affected so many people. And so all of Israel, and this is, this is perplexing to me because it actually says that Joshua, he couldn't even stand before his enemies. And Joshua was confounded because he knew that God was always with him. Joshua was a man of God. And you can, you can go back to it and you can say Joshua hadn't sinned in his prayer life. Joshua hadn't committed anything that was an abomination to God. Joshua hadn't done anything wrong, neither any of the rest of Israel. It was just this one man that did. And yet when you start the story, it says God said Israel has sinned. He actually names it as if it's the congregation that's, that's the issue here. And I wonder if maybe one of the things that we need to start thinking about is as, as we call the body of Christ, we have to think about, in, in individually, a lot of times we think, well, this is only affecting me. So if I choose to walk away from what God wants in my life, or if I choose to do what I want, just because that's suitable to me, even though I know that it's not, the, it's not a plan as far as the body of Christ is concerned, but I'm going to go watch what I want to watch. And I'm going to go, and it may be just one thing. Think about it. It's not often the majority of your life is hidden behind some of these things. It's just some area of your life that you can say, I've not let God have his right and his place in this one area. And when you really begin to think about it, maybe if you've decided in your heart that I'm not going to let God have a place in this one area, maybe you're really deciding I'm not letting God have place in any area of my life. Because how can we intend to disobey in one thing and not at heart be wrong in the rest. It says that in James, it says, he that seeks to keep the whole law and yet offends in one point is guilty in all. The attitude of your heart, the intent of your heart can only be holy to obey God or holy to disobey God. The attitude of our heart. Now, in the actions of our life, we may not be able to perf perfectly understand exactly how uh, all the dynamics of that work, but we can have an attitude of heart that says, I will adjust with 100% attitude to obey. What, what man or woman could say that there is a possibility to be half willing to obey God and half willing not to obey Him? All of us live probably in a realm where we feel like that's true, but the reality is that either you're wholehearted or you're no-hearted. It's either one or the other. And in Achan's scenario, I think the reason why 
this is such an evil is because the whole heart was in an attitude of covetousness. Now, what I want to focus on is the fact that he was a man privileged with covenant blessing. In other words, he was under the same blessing that Joshua had, and yet he still chose to sin in light of his privileges. Not of his consequences, but in light of his privileges. So I want to highlight for us that we have been given the privilege of being called the children of God because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. And, and I like to, you know, sharing this with my, my little girl, you, you realize you have to get down just to the very foundation and simple form to be able to present the gospel. But the reality is, is that who of us can declare that my, righteous, my life was good enough, There's, that I've lived a good enough life to satisfy the demands of, of God? Well, I've, I failed in one point. That's, that's just enough to know that you, you couldn't do it. The reality is we all sit in that same boat of, I'm failure, I, I, I messed up, I've sinned. And that's a reality for all of us. But because of that reality, we have the privilege of what Jesus Christ has done in our place. And so I want every one of you to think about today, I want you to think about when Jesus was on that cross, that was you. He was suffering as you. Every one of us individually. And he took that pain because he loved you. So he had, we have the sense of privilege. And, and there's a lot of people who don't know that. There's a lot of people who don't see and don't know what it means to be a child of God. But for those of us who do, those of us who do, you're under covenant provision. And that's where Achan was. He had covenant promises that God had given. God was securing the people. And Achan was still choosing his own path, his own plan, his own way. And so you'll see a number of things uh, in his story. Um, and that God had said that unless you destroy the accursed thing um, from among you, that you won't be able to stand before your enemies. So I want to get back to that one thought again, is how many of us look at your individual actions as having a corporate effect? How many of us honestly feel like today, if I choose to go my own way and pick up the silver of gold or take up the accursed thing as it were, that that's just going to affect me, maybe my family, but that doesn't affect the church. But what we're sensing here is when the Lord anoints a service, it's because we're a corporate body. And we cannot look at our lives as just a single purpose. So what I want to say individually, you are adding to what God is doing. So let's not take for granted what you watch on TV. Let's not take for granted how you react to your husband or your wife. Let's not take for granted how we treat our siblings. Let's not take for granted any of that. Because when we begin to buy into the idea that, you know, I can live however I want, and that's not going to affect it does. And so I believe that it destroys an anointing over people's life. And another story is, is Jonah. And Jonah was ready to go out and run away from God. And in all of his process of running away from God, there was a city that needed to hear about repentance. And Jonah was missing that call. And so... I wonder if there's people right now that 
they might be under the headline that they're holding back what God wants to do in a majority of people because they're not ready to respond appropriately to God. I wonder if there's some who might say that's their conviction. Maybe there's been some stirring in your life and you thought, I just feel like I know God's been naming something inside of me and I've not been dealing with it. And you've been having that stirring over and over again. And while you're going through that, the rest of us are being affected. The rest of us are going through something. It's pulling back from something that God has for us. So with this contrast in mind that it was dealt with, and God did bring about peace in Israel. But the goal to reach forward is not Achan's story, but Joseph's story. Go to uh, Genesis chapter 39, verse 9. Genesis. So Joseph was being tempted. I'm sorry, Joseph, uh, yeah, 39.9. Joseph was being tempted, but he dealt with it completely different. And after, during this temptation, he, he's, uh, this is what he says, There is none greater in this house than I, neither has, has uh, your master kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Listen to how he says that. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? There's a, there's a contrast in the way that Achan dealt with the temptation and the way that Joseph dealt with temptation. There has to be a point in our life where we realize this sin is about my relationship with God. This is about how God feels about this. So Joseph fled from temptation. Achan gave in to temptation. And then in uh, Genesis 37, verses 4 and 5, we have the story of Joseph with his brothers. And here Joseph is being mildly favored of his father. Joseph is given a coat of colors by Jacob. And Joseph is given two dreams by God. And in these two things, every time... He's getting blessed. It's provoking his brothers. And so we'll read here in verse 4 and 5. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brothers. And they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we have... We, are bind, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood up upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheep. And he shares this, and then he talks about how the sun and the moon begin to bow down. And even his father Jacob was wondering about what in all this would mean. And they, they had interpreted the dream for us, and they said, in, for him, and they said, well, what, we, one day will we all bow before you as a prince? and the Lord in the land of Egypt. And uh, they didn't realize that that was exactly what was going to happen. 
And I don't know if Joseph knew exactly what his dream meant at that point. But what you'll see is, is that Joseph provoked the anger of his brothers. But the difference was Achan provoked the, the anger of God. I would far rather provoke uh, people than I would provoke God. And I think that becomes the difference in, in the individual's life. And I want to bring that contrast is because we're, easy, we're more ready to uh, offend God than we are to offend people. And if there has to be a choice between one or the two, let's make sure that we're not offending God in the choices that we make. But that's what made Joseph stand out is he had the integrity to put God first. He had the integrity to make sure that God got the glory. That makes all the difference when we're moving forward in life. Um, Joseph, in uh, chapter 37, verse 28, it says that he was sold for silver. Achan sold out for silver. So you see the difference in the contrast of his life that Joseph's life was not about money. Joseph's life was going to be sold for that money. And his brothers had such an envy and a hatred for him. And if you really pay attention to the story of Joseph, what an amazing story it is. What an amazing story that here he is, hated by his brothers, and God allows for this hatred. They throw him in a pit and they want to kill him. They want to kill him and yet they can't kill him. And what they end up doing with him after they throw him in the pit is here come some slave traders that just happen to be, happen to be, isn't that interesting, happen to be walking by at the time they're, cons they're consenting to the idea of killing him. And yet they, wait, wait a second, let not, our, let not his blood be upon our hands. Let's just go ahead and sell him off. And then that means that we can know this sin won't be on our, on our hands. And yet it agonized them. Later on in life, you'll see that they lived with that the rest of their life. Um, and so also we have in chapter 39, verse 2. I want to read that. Genesis 39, verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph. Don't you love that? And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph lived in the favor of God. That's how he operated. And I love the story of Joseph because it's not, it's not the picture that we want today, right? What we think of when I finally get life right with the Lord and I do exactly what God wants, that's smooth traveling from there on. Just gonna, everything's going to go just the way that I was hoping for it to. And I'm not have to worry about the struggles that all the other people in life that haven't surrendered to Jesus. I'm not going to have to worry about what that's going to mean. I'm not going to have to face pain and struggle for myself. But that's not the story you get in Joseph's life. You see a man who lived to experience God's great prosperity. I mean, imagine this. Here he is. He's sold by his own brothers into slavery. He'll, as far as he knows, he'll never see his father again. I'm sure that slavery in those days meant that you didn't get the opportunity to go back. And you'll never get that opportunity again. I'm sure that that was, a sense, his reality. And there he was facing the struggle of that. And he somehow lands into Potiphar's house. And Potiphar is just one of the, the main men in Egypt. And uh, Joseph finds favor. I wonder how he finds favor. But I, I think this is the one thing that has to be in our minds. We have to realize you know what, it's not my circumstance that's going to determine and dictate to me where God is in this whole thing. 
And a lot of people are struggling in circumstances in life and feel like God's, you know, if things get hard, God must be further away than He is closer. But when you look at life, Joseph's life, he began to step into whatever God's plan was. And I think it's humility. I think that he realized that I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm nothing, but God is doing something here. And I can trust Him no matter what I see. Because why? Because I have a confidence that I belong to Him. And because I belong to Him, He's going to oversee everything that happens in life. And with that, Joseph began to get the favor of Potiphar to the place that Potiphar said, you can have everything in my house. I trust everything to you. You're not a slave to me, and I'm not going to treat you like a slave. I'm going to treat you as something bigger and better than. Because everything you do, whatever you put your hands to, even if you're a man who lacks knowledge in the area, somehow you're graced with the ability to do it. Such that I don't have another servant. There isn't anybody in the land of Egypt that remotely compares to the grace that you have in life. So I'm going to raise you up because I know I'd be a fool if I didn't take the best and let him have authority over what I, I own in my home and everything else. And Joseph found that favor. But along that path, his wife began to look at Joseph and try and undermine what God was doing, and what God wanted to do in Joseph's life. And that wife began to find the test to who she was and find the test to what it means to have a, put a man under temptation and find that there's a God who can give men the power over temptation. We have so many that will pray after we fall, but we won't pray before we fall. Lord, keep me from falling. Keep me from falling and give me a testimony of perfection as it were for your glory. So here he was being tested. He was being tested. And she kept going after him, and yet he wouldn't fall to it. And he finally, he makes this statement. He says, how can I do this wickedness and sin against God? He's the reason why there's nothing you're going to do that's going to change the way I'm going to respond to you. And then she takes his garment, and he runs off to get away from her. And then, then she falsely accuses him, and then he lands in prison. He goes from a place of prosperity he goes from that to prison. Wow. Lord, what did I do wrong? <laughs> I, I, I didn't let the temptation, I didn't fall into it. I didn't sin. What is, what, is, what is with this? And I wonder if there's Christians that today find themselves in that boat. Lord, I don't understand. I've been living faithful. I've been doing what you've called me to do. And why am I feeling like now I'm a prisoner and falsely accused? And struggling with this. And so then he finds favor in the prison. And so the prison keeper gets to experience the same joy that Potiphar did. And he decides, look at this guy. And I wonder how Joseph even got that. What is it that he did while he's locked up in prison to open the eyes of a man that is just taking care of things? And so he pretty much gives Joseph this liberty. But in that prison was the exact place that he needed to be so that he could meet two other men that would have dreams. And out of those dreams, he would give both of them their exact interpretations. And one of them, he said, don't forget me. When you go back before Pharaoh, don't forget me. Somehow release me from this bondage. And uh, it says he forgot him. And then later on, Pharaoh has his dream. And then when Pharaoh has the dream, 
Joseph steps back into the scene and, and then that servant remembered, oh yeah, there was a man, a Hebrew man, that interpreted my dream while I was in prison and it, it came to pass. So Pharaoh, nobody else can tell you your dream. Why don't I just recommend this Hebrew, this slave to you, this prisoner slave to you, who's found favor in every way, but he's still in prison. I don't understand that. And then Joseph comes before Pharaoh, and I want you to pay real close attention to what Joseph says. He says, it's not in me to give you the interpretation of your dream, but it's in God. And there's this, this mainline theme that runs through Joseph's life all the way from beginning to end, and it's this fact that he trusts God. It's the fact that he's humble enough in whatever circumstance he's in to believe that God is able in every situation. Joseph wasn't dreaming about being a prince in the land of Egypt. Joseph was just dreaming of a hope that someday he would escape and maybe, maybe be able to see his father. I don't know exactly what was going through his mind. The scripture doesn't tell us. So here's a few facts here. Joseph suffered for righteousness. Achan suffered for unrighteousness. Joseph tested his brothers. Achan tested God. These are just parts of the story. So in Genesis 44, 1 through 2, this is the story of Joseph testing his brothers. And then uh, in Joshua 7, 19, it just gives the confession where Achan had tested God. He said, yes, I, I coveted and I did what God didn't want me to do. So here's some lessons. Joseph had to, and I put this, I put, there's two words here. I wanted to fill in the blank. I mean, it's, Joseph waited under pressure to see God fulfill his promises. But then I had to stop. I thought, wait a second. He wasn't waiting to see God fulfill his promises if he was already prepared for it. He had to grow. So I wanted to change that and say Joseph had to grow under pressure to see God fulfill his promises. Because when Joseph started this track, I'm sure that he wasn't perfected. I'm sure that he didn't know the ins and outs, how to be a perfect, godly man. But yet he, in the process of his trials and struggles, he continued to flourish and grow in God. And in all of that, the dream that God had given to him was going to come to pass in time. But it was in time that it would happen. So all of the space of time was a fulfillment of a promise that would happen. And, and the bigger picture here is not Joseph. The bigger picture is not what was happening in Joseph, but what was God's plan in the midst of this. And so I want to say this thing, God was making a man, not just saving lives. So in the end, when God was actually going to uh, fulfill his promise, and he was going to save so many lives, and in that time it was the known world. So it was Egypt and all the people around Egypt, including Joseph's family, that were going to be saved. And God was going to save everybody as it were. But... It wasn't just that that was in the mind of God. But what he had to do was make a man that he could trust. He had to make a man that wasn't going to foul up on his plan and do his own thing. He had to make a man that he could rely upon. Because so many lives were going to be affected by one man's faithfulness. By one man's, by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. And so we see this call of Joshua that you can't just... When God's calling you into this place of being an authority, you can't just be put into that right now. You're not ready for it. But I will make you ready for it through your trials and through your struggles. Eventually, you're going to be ready to see the fulfillment of those dreams that I gave to you long ago. So God has a personal plan.
plan and he has a global plan. <laughs> and so when we, when we realize that God has a global plan, that means that there's things that he does in our life specifically for a global purpose, for, specifically for a congregational purpose. He wants you to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, soul, and strength so that you can strengthen the body of Christ, that you can lift up those in the, in the church that are struggling, and you can lift up your community to God. He wants you to be his ambassador. God was fulfilling the dream he gave from the moment he gave it. So we wonder, we, we actually begin to think, I think, a lot of times that when Joseph was experiencing it, then God was fulfilling it. But from the moment he gave it, he began to emotion Joseph's path in the directions that were necessary. And, and things that Joseph probably didn't understand in the time, I'm sure that when the envy of his brothers, he would have never seen, oh, that God has a great plan in protecting a nation and doing it through my life. He probably didn't see any of that. And so it felt just as raw and just as difficult for him as it would be for you and me. But yet God was doing that. And there was something that God saw at the end of his life that Joseph wasn't seeing in the moment. And he didn't see, but there was, I would say, the pressures begin to open his vision that this same God that called my father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that is one of my fathers. The same promises that he gave to them, he's giving to me. And I may not understand how he's going to preserve me. And I may not understand how he's going to fulfill that through my life. But if I'm going to suffer, then God fulfill your plan through that suffering. Don't let me take it for granted. And Joseph began to walk there, as it were, blamelessly through whatever he was facing. I want to say this, that it seems to me that when I read this, that the pain was a part of the plan. Didn't mean that God wanted there to be pain, but he knew that there would be. But that despite the pain, and brothers and sisters, listen to me, the important part for us to realize, to capture, is that God is not allowing anything in your life that he is going to lose control over, that he's going to let go. It's like, I don't have the wheel anymore. I don't know what to do with this. This is going to end in a train wreck for you because I don't have any, and I don't have anything now. But the reality is, is that God's looking at it. It's the pain is a part of the plan. Whatever you're going through, that the greater plan in this, maybe you don't see it in the moment, but trust. Trust your Father in heaven that He's got an end result here in mind. And I think that's where we can bring in the story of Job when he said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the end, God had prospered Job. God had taken care of everything. I think that was probably what the apostle meant when he said the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Because he understood there's a path in this. There's a provision in this. And how wonderful it is to maintain a loving union relationship to the creator of the universe and still walk closely with him when you're in your greatest struggles. When you're going through your greatest trials and yet you can hold on and watch him fulfill his promises. Those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Genesis 41, verse 51. This is a highlight scripture to me. I was reading this throughout the week and I, and I just felt like this is amazing to me. Genesis chapter 41, verse 51. I've got this Bible. I shouldn't be reading out of it right now. The moment it's, it's uh, split between um, Spanish and English here. So if I take a little longer to find it, that's all right. All right. 
41:51 here. And Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For God said, He has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. I was struck. I don't know what other versions say, but this one here says, and he forgot all his father's house. And the picture that I get out of that is, is that I get the picture of a man who in the first, the onset of all of his struggles, he's being sold into slavery and he's being cast into prison and throughout some of that, and the onset of that struggle is beginning to groan so badly to be back home. Just want to be back with my father. Just want to be back with my brothers. As much as their envy is, is not something that I want to deal with, I, I'm, a, I'm homebound and I'm lost for just to be in my father's house. And little by little, as he's beginning to see that that's not the direction that God's taken me. And he begins to trust. And what I get out of this is he finally gets to the place where he trusts in God enough to say, if I never see my father again, if I never get to go back home and be with my family, your plan is worth it. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know exactly why you're doing it. But your plan is worth it in the end. And I think what I hear in behind those words is him saying, I finally let go. Like the words of the apostles said, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forward the things are before me. And sometimes we're not ready to go the direction God wants us to go because we have other people and other things that are important to us. And God's actually just pulling on the other side of that. And you go through that back and forth. And I wonder if all that Joseph had faced was just God's way of trying to get him to the place of forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are before him. And God says, I need you. And as much as you want to be with your family and as much as you want this part of your life, what I need you for is I need you for a protection of a society of people. I need you to be a covering for a multitude of people that are going to die in famine if you're not there. And I'm calling you out because I want you to do this work. And Joseph finally opening his eyes to, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to surrender to this. And I'm not going to be keeping looking back to my father's house. And I'm going to surrender to God's will in my life. And he finally does. And I want, to, I want to highlight something to you because it wasn't until after he did this that God reunited him with his family. In relational senses, God does things not the way we do things. And we're trying to find a way to, to bind those relationships and get those relationships back with people. And we're seeing homes that are broken and lives that just cannot be brought. Relationships that are so divided, there's no bringing them back together. And we're trying to find some way, some path to make that happen. And it's not happening. And finally, you forget your father's house. You forget what you're trying to do in your, in your family. And you decide to surrender to the will of God. And you just, Lord, whatever your will is, I'm going to do that. And along that path, the Lord has provisions and blessings that you can never achieve on your own. And I believe when, his, when he saw his brothers for that first time, he saw God do what he could never do. And that's the message here is that God is blessing those who surrender their life in ways that they dream of and can't attain. And then beyond that, He fulfills a global purpose, a greater purpose through their individual lives. So forgetting His Father's house speaks of His full abandonment to God's will in Egypt, even if that meant He will never see them again. This eventually made a way for God to restore His family. And I don't know if you guys realize this, but I'm seeing this more and more play out in my life. 
that it's unsafe for God to give us the things we want until He's first. Because otherwise our worship and our heart's devotion go to those other things. And some people are praying so earnestly for God to do something in their life when really all they need to do is transition their heart's devotion back to Him. And when they do, that means it's safe for God to do those things that you wanted and desired deeply in your heart. See, God loves us beyond our imagination. And God wants things for us that we want. But He doesn't want those things to become the ownership of our hearts and lives. He wants us to love Him uh, as the first. And then He gets to decide from there. And and I want to say this. When you love Jesus and when you follow Him with all your heart, let's just say, I think that he, in the end, we can all say that, man, He's given me so much better. Even my trials have been sweet. Even my sorrows have been my greatest joys. Because out of that, the Lord has brought restoration. The Lord has done some tremendous things to me. So I don't think anybody's hanging in the balance saying, you know, this thing with Jesus, all that sacrifice stuff, that's just not for me. That's not really going to work. That doesn't pan out in the end. And the reality is, this is probably just hidden for those of us who don't see it, but the reality is when you open your heart to it and walk on the path of faith, and it is like stepping out on water. Is this really going to happen or not? But the Lord's going to do it. And what I love is is that recently I've been feeling for me personally that the Lord has um, has been calling me to humility. And uh, and there's a song that we were... we. My, my father-in-law had given to us. Well, he hadn't given it. He had played it for us, and we'd listened. And it was uh, it was by Casting Crowns. I don't really listen to their stuff, but I liked this song tremendously, and probably many of you have heard it, and it's called Nobody. And part of the lyrics is, is that I, uh, I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. And, 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 the, and what catches me is that I'm a nobody. And that song has just been reiterating over and over in my mind. And then my brother-in-law, just the other day, he's talking about this book uh, of humility by Andrew Murray. And, and I was like, I know I've read it, but it's been a while. And I start reading it, and I'm like, this is your call, Lord. That The call is just, just to a place of humility. That I'm not grand, I'm not great, but God is. And watch him do some amazing things. And so what I want to do is encourage this church right now. I want to encourage every Christian right this minute. I want to encourage you to take the path of humility. That not look for a place of notoriety and a big position with God. And while you do that, you're going to feed into this ministry. I believe something's the heart of God for this church and for this community. Because you have just left a huge gap for Jesus to work in. You have opened the door wide open for God to do what He's going to do. And there are people that we cannot reach with our own tongues. And we cannot reach because their hearts are so hardened, because their lives are so uh, construed by prejudice and, and misunderstanding of God. And you are going to be a gateway. This church is going to be a gateway for opening the lives of uh, the hearts of people who never thought to turn toward God because of humility. Because I am a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. And and while you're doing that, definitely pray for the pastor. I don't know who he is, but pray for him because uh, he needs a lot of that. And he really wants, he wants to be the man who's just at his knees 
trusting God to do his best. Just pray for that pastor. And pray for yourselves in the same way. God's going to do some tremendous things through it. I love the way the Holy Spirit moves in his way. So, Father, we want to give you praise. We want to thank you, Lord, for your blessing right now. Jesus, Jesus. If the worship team can, can come up for the, uh, the altar call time. I want to give a time for everybody to, to respond to the Lord. Um,